greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we are going to be primarily Star Wars focused. Uh, We're going to do our final reviews of Episode 7 and 8 of The Mandalorian, as well as kind of an overall season score for the first season. And then we will move into our review of Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Now, quick uh, note beforehand, this will be a very spoiler filled review for both The Mandalorian and Rise of Skywalker. So if you have not watched the final two episodes of The Mandalorian, we recommend you go ahead and uh, stop right now, go watch them, and come back uh, and listen to the episode, as well as same for The Rise of Skywalker. But as always, I'm joined by my co-host and finally, basically full-time in studio, Patrick. How you doing, Pat? Well, you know, just... uh Glad to be back in Ohio. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, as some of my uh, followers on Twitter saw last night, we were uh, having a very good time at the brewery, and I might have sent some drunk tweets, but yeah. nothing too bad. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking that uh, maybe we can start doing some beer reviews on this, too. Well, maybe that'll be a, a separate podcast. I, I don't know what the name of that one would be, uh, but... Maybe beer. just just beer. Maybe we can recommend a, a uh, pairing for for our viewing experience. Or um, as we've talked about, we're going to do uh, a Patreon here eventually uh, when we do commentary tracks for some films that will be Patreon exclusive. Maybe having a little bit of it be a little beer film. Who knows? Um, all right. Well, I'm glad that we can now record in person 100 percent all the time. Um, well, barring any future trips or anything like that. But I'm really excited to talk about um, The Mandalorian, final two episodes. Uh, you know, you and I had talked beforehand about how we were going to do this because um, we were having our Christmas episode and we didn't want to have anything kind of Star Wars related only because it would kind of distract from our, our Christmas theme. And we figured, well, this would be the best way is because uh, we kind of wanted to see how everything wrapped up after the finale or well, the end of episode seven, that maybe it was a better way if we just, uh, you know, tackled both the final two episodes together in one review. And I am glad we did that because the way with seven ending, it was like, oh, my gosh, I need to know what happened next. Um, and plus, it had a nice little tie in to Rise of Skywalker, at least a little acknowledgement of something that uh, is very important to the kind of final moments of Rise of Skywalker. But 
as um, we always do, we're going to go ahead and talk about um, kind of the what happened in episode seven. Uh, and this was chapter seven, The Reckoning. And uh, Mando receives a message, uh, of course, from Grief. Uh, we, we saw a little bit of it when uh, he was doing kind of the breakout mission with the crew. And we, you and I both, I think, had assumed that this was just the previous message he had when he was returning back to Navarro the first time with the child uh, and didn't make sense to us why, uh, or at least I know it didn't make sense to a lot of people, why that would still be on his, you know, logs or something. Why would this guy who's on the run uh, keep something like that? And granted, he probably wasn't, you know, expecting a droid to be on the crew, but almost anyone could have un- uh, stumbled across it. But it was actually a completely different um, different message from Grief explaining that the client has really kind of uh, clamped down on the town. There's now a whole like garrison of Imperial troops, uh, stormtroopers that are uh, taking over the town. And um, he is begging for uh, Mando to bring the child back and see if they can, you know, figure out what they can do basically by creating a contract on the client. If he takes out the client, then, you know, everybody will be, you know, in peace and, and it will be, uh, his past grievances will be, uh, forgiven. But of course, like we've talked about also in the prior episodes, you know, if he didn't realize he was going to get betrayed at some point, it was going to be a little annoying because he was getting betrayed like every five seconds in each episode. And, um, you know, finally, Mando is kind of prepared for this. He uh, starts going basically to every location that he was uh, at previously uh, with and people he made connections with, like Cardoon, uh, with Quill, uh, and even IG-11, as we kind of find out that Quill went to the little outpost uh, where they found um, the child and repurposed and reprogrammed IG-11 to be kind of a protector droid versus um, an assassin. Now, of course, Mando's not 100% convinced about, you know, whether or not uh, IG is is actually going to help protect um, the child versus actually just going out and trying to kill the child. So it, you know, kind of had a ragtag team, uh, of misfits to kind of go and try to uh, see what the heck is going to happen when they get to Navarro. And of course, as they get to Navarro, they are kind of landed outside the lava fields, which is far away from town. Um, they bring... Now, this is kind of something that surprised me. I don't know about you, but uh, I kind of thought they would have decoyed um, the child and that like they wouldn't have actually brought him with them except that grief does kind of ask like for proof that the baby's there and of course he is um so kind of jumping a little bit ahead uh at night they're attacked by a group of minox um and grief gets uh gets cut on his arm and of course there's poison and he's you know going to die but Kind of something that got uh, previewed, and I know we missed going over it in our episode two review. Um, the the child kind of goes up and, and was trying to raise his hand up to to uh, Mando when he was injured, and uh, Mando kind of just like kept pushing him off, pushing him away. Well, the point of what uh, he was trying to do was actually heal Mando, and he does this 
um, to grief. He pulls out all the poison, heals the wound, and um, kind of passes out from the strain of it. And then as they're about to reach Navarro the next morning, um, the two other um, bounty hunters that are with grief are kind of positioned behind uh, Mando and, and Cara Dune, and uh, grief is in front of them. And he turns around. Of course, this is where we think the big moment of betrayal is. But Grief pulls out his two pistols and shoots the other two bounty hunters and uh, says that, no, I, I couldn't do this to you because of um, what the child did for me. So I thought that was a nice little twist a little bit. Like it, it, it definitely uh, was foreshadowed. It definitely was as was kind of forecasted in the sense like I, I knew it was happening. Uh, I did kind of feel like the betrayal was coming, but then, you know, I was like, I don't think he's going to quite do it. And this is where they finally kind of come up with their uh, plan of attack. Um, they're going to do what I kind of assumed that they would have done in the first place. Send Quill back with the child and back to the ship with IG and, um, Basically, Grief is going to take in Kara and uh, Mando in as prisoners that he caught and kind of lure them in and take out the client. Of course, it you know doesn't go well. Um, they get in there. Uh, they sit down with the client. Client wants to see the child. Child is sleeping, according to Mando and them. And, and uh, all of a sudden, the client uh, gets a call on the hollow, and he's talking, and we're introduced to... Uh, Moff Gideon and um, that's when things kind of go to hell for everybody Um, all of a sudden the whole little cantina is just hit with blaster bolts clients killed the stormtroopers that are in there are killed Um, everybody is then kind of pinned down and we get a whole garrison of stormtroopers. We even have some death troopers uh, in there as well. And then we see a uh, TIE fighter land. And now this was interesting to me, too, with how the TIE fighter landed was the the um, panels on the side actually like, folded in to landing gear, which is really weird and not a concept I think I was too familiar with, maybe with the old expanded universe. Um, but we hadn't quite seen that. So... To me, it looked a little bit weird, but at the same time, like I understood it and it didn't bug me a whole lot. But we're introduced to Moff Gideon, um, played by Gynacarlo Esposito, who does a fantastic job and is basically telling them, yeah, we got the child. Um, You know, we're going to basically kill you. And it kind of ends there on that cliffhanger. We see uh, Quill having been chased by the um, bike troopers. They took Quill out and they grabbed the baby and that's where the episode ended. And that was like a whole what the hell type of ending. Uh, I think this one again was directed by Deborah Chow. I think this was her second episode. Um, And again, she is um, going to be running the Obi-Wan show. And I think she is going to do a fantastic job on it. I mean, if, if she brings even just a modicum of talent that she's done with these two episodes to Obi-Wan, we're going to be very happy with how that, that, uh, that plays out. But that's my kind of overall, um, synopsis uh, of the plot uh pat go ahead take it away what what do you what are your thoughts i think that this being the second to last episode it was very Mm action-packed and it kept you it kept you on your toes the entire time because you 
you knew that eventually he was probably going to get betrayed. And that was their plan. (laughs) (laughs) It it was pretty out there that it wouldn't happen again when it's been the entire theme of this entire series. At least he was prepared this time, though. He for was. the most part. He was, but <laughs> I honestly think that uh, he could that Grief Karga could have killed both of them if he wanted to. Oh, yeah. Just how fast he drew, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. they would have been done for it, and they would have been... And, and this show right there. <laughs> the only thing that would have protected Mando at least a little bit from a shot at his, his best car, of course. But, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but I think that the... The night scene, um, it was a little hard to see what was going on there. And I don't know if that was kind of to do with the budget of kind of getting the creatures to look right. Right. And it, they just made it darker um, to kind of take out of what would have probably been pretty expensive to get those creatures to look CG'd. better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that scene could have been a little bit better. But overall, it did what it needed to do right you get uh grief's injury and then you get the force heal and that's the first time we've seen force heal like on screen right yes it's probably and see now this is going to kind of come into a point of contention especially when we get into the rise of skywalker um review you know i've seen a lot of people really upset over that introduction of that um that force power and you know, even J.J. beforehand, uh, I remember him doing some type of press junket, and he said people were going to be upset with some powers I introduced. Those were, I mean, if, especially if you played any of the old video games, um, I'm pretty sure like with Knights of the Old Republic, and especially um, the Old Republic MMO, uh, you know, that was a certain sect of Jedi power. Now, it's supposed to be, you know, rare. It's not supposed to be something that like every Jedi could do it. Um, but it was also not something that like it doesn't cost the person doing it um, anything like we saw baby baby Yoda, for lack of a better term for him, um, you know, pass out from exerting the energy to, to heal grief. Like so if you think about any type of extensive uh, injury or, or something like that, uh, that that wouldn't uh, particularly be the best mode of trying to heal somebody like I, I saw kind of complaints like well obi-wan why wouldn't you have like force healed padme well because it probably would have cost him his own life now granted you could have said well that would you know be a noble sacrifice and would have maybe prevented anything with anakin but it just like that's when you're trying to pick at things and be like oh they didn't do this or they they could have done this then and uh, you know it's just it's annoying frustrating stuff but i think it was a fine power to introduce i don't think it was something that's you know, because they they also do the inverse, and that was and it's a very Sith thing that happens. You know, so like, it's not anything that's too outlandish, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I see why they they aired this episode earlier, right? With the movie being released, right? So I think that introducing it here kind of made it easier to uh, take in for the movie. Yeah, and uh, now it's funny though is um, I was talking with one of my coworkers about it, and he actually hadn't watched episode seven before rise of skywalker so he was kind of like confused a little bit by it but i was like well that was their intent like they they wanted to have people to watch this episode so they kind of get introduced or go okay what's this about um i agree the night scene could have been a little bit better um but i think like they're going the kind of game of thrones route in the sense of i 
I know you haven't fully watched it, but season eight had that kind of controversial episode where uh, they were doing like the Battle of Winterfell and it was all very dark and hard to see, especially when you're streaming it on HBO Go or HBO's uh, uh, channel on Amazon. And you had the, uh, I think it was the director or the cinematographer of that episode who kind of said, well, this was meant to not be watched on someone's cell phone or, uh, you know, on their TV. Like they need to have a really high end setup to really get the full impact. And it's like, well, I get that, but you're really like most people are viewing it through streaming and they're not going to get that higher quality. Now I will say with Disney plus the quality is a lot better than something from like HBO go for and like with my experience of HBO shows and some shows that are, are streamed on Amazon when they're not Amazon shows themselves, um, they have a little bit lesser quality, more blooming effect and stuff like that, where it does kind of get harder to see because they're not pouring all their money into making sure it's streaming at the best, um, best level. So that's why, you know, if you're going to buy it on 4k or stream it in 4k, you want to have something like Disney plus, or you want to buy the 4k release of it or something like that to get the better viewing. I don't, I won't say that that's the case with this particular episode. I think you're right. It was more of like, okay, we've, we're going to have all of our budget in kind of the final act of that and the final episode. So let's do a night scene where there's not, as much needed to kind of make sure that those creatures looked fantastic or level of like theatrical release, which we've seen with pretty much all of the other special effects uh, with Mandalorian. So I, I think they wanted to kind of do the the night thing just to kind of get out. Cause it's funny at, you know, one point grief says, Oh yeah, night, night comes pretty quick. It's the only time we got tonight, like the entire, <laughs> entire season. And they even have like one more or two more trips back to the ship and it doesn't go tonight. So it's like, yeah, they probably were just like, OK, let's do this. Uh, we'll, we'll throw some creatures in there, but we'll we'll do it at night. So it's not too, too crazy. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing that we kind of overlooked is when they move forward with the plan, the IG-11 does stay on the ship. Yes, yes, so. yes. And that is very important come oh, of episode eight. <laughs> of course. Um, now, what I think really works in this episode, and, and, and I also have to, I'm very happy that these final two episodes were definitely uh, longer, um, more into like the 42 minute, 43 minute average, you know, episode range, which is basically like normal television. Um, that, that really helped because I, they were able to then, and especially with these being kind of two directly linked episodes, it allowed us to at least spend some of that time with him going back to uh, some of those planets and revisiting some of those characters to get them to Navarro and without it feeling like rushed, you know, it, it was like, okay, we're stopping here. We'll have our quick conversation with Kara. Okay. We'll stop here and we'll have our quick conversation with Quill and IG. And then bam, we're right there in Navarro. We're getting some introduction to stuff. And then we see things in, in the town are not quite as what uh, we thought. And then we have that explosive finale at, at the end of the episode. And, uh, that entrance with with uh, Gideon, I think, was probably where they put a lot of the budget into it. Because I mean, it's a very grand entrance, and it's a very good entrance for what is our overall villain. Now, I, there's still rumors and still kind of theories about Moff Gideon being. So I think it's Disney or somebody has said that Moff Gideon is the person that showed up at the end of Episode Five at the 
body of Fennec Shan on Tatooine. But there's a particular beep or noise that goes off when that person comes up to the body of Fennec that a lot of people have gone back and rewatched uh, A New Hope, the special edition, which, of course, is the only edition you can watch now. And when uh, there's the Jabba Han scene and Boba Fett kind of walks on screen for a second, the same beep is heard. So a lot of people are still holding out. And I mean, I'm still holding out that Boba's going to show up maybe in season two. Uh, and I wouldn't say that that was, was Gideon because it makes no sense to me that Gideon would have gone to Tatooine after like why he would have gone to the body per se of Fennec Shan versus just going to the landing pad, talking to the, the worker or killing the worker and then going on to the next place. Like it doesn't make sense that he would have just followed planet to planet. And it, it also wouldn't make sense for him being as high up as he is to be following the Mandalorian right. alone. It, it just does, it, it doesn't uh, flow right. Right. And, and, and in all honesty, and this is what would have tied it in perfectly with the prisoner episode, as we were talking about, um, how it didn't seem right that the new Republic, uh, and this will start kind of getting into a little bit of, of, of eight. Um, but why the new Republic would have just gone on a straight kill order for that prison barge. If that transponder went off, if Gideon had been on there and then gotten out, uh, because of the events that, you know, Mando does on the ship, that would have made sense because we get the we get the idea that like Gideon was supposed to have been executed or dead for war crimes and somehow he was out. And I think that there was a missed opportunity for them to be like, oh, yeah, he was on the on the barge. And because of what Mando did, he was able to get out and get back into power. But since they're kind of he's the kind of guy in the shadows, whereas Werner Herzog's client was kind of working as you know, basically a proxy for him. Um, it, I, it so it's okay, but I, I kind of wish that that was that's how they would have done that route because it would have made more sense to me. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this episode. Again, Deborah Chow did an amazing job uh, directing it. Everyone, the cast was fantastic, and uh, I was very happy with what they what they did with it. And I think I'm going to land. On um, 4.5 out of this one, like it, it's it's a pretty almost perfect episode. There were just some of those minor things like you talked about the night scene, uh, you know, being a little bit hard to see uh, some things kind of being a little too easy or at least like they, they foreshadowed it too um, too well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, made it very obvious. But uh, yeah, that's that's where I land on this episode. And like you already said, I'm. I pretty much had the same, uh, same discrepancies in in the filming of it. So I, I'm gonna land on a four point five as well. I I do wish that they would have put a little more effort into the night scene. Yeah. Just so we could have seen what was really taking them off. But now he wins some, you lose some. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, if that if that's the biggest complaint we have about the entire show, I think. Uh, that's that's a pretty good complaint to have, you know, no, okay. you know, it's 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 at least it's not, you know, something where it's it's just an awful show and nothing of it works. Right. You know, I'll, I'll take that as the best complaint. Yeah, it's, it's not like we're complaining about the storyline. Right. All. all right. So we're going to move on to now to episode eight uh, or chapter eight, rather redemption. 
Uh, and this one was uh, directed by Taika Waititi as well. And, of course, he does the voice for IG-11. Uh, I've been very impressed with stuff I've, I've seen him doing now. I still need to see Jojo Rabbit. Um, but there are a lot of projects he's working on that he's added a nice... Um, Nice breath of fresh air. Uh, he's, he's a very creative director, and he's a very funny guy, too, when he plays some of these characters. Um, but as we kind of open up with the episode, IG-11 uh, has, well, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, the two troopers, which actually one of them was played or at least voiced by Jason Sudeikis, which I didn't catch uh, until I heard stuff afterwards. Um, they have, you know, Baby Yoda, the child, um in tow and they're going back and they finally they're a little bit outside the city and they're coming in uh to check if they're okay to go down uh and if everything's all right and they're getting kind of told now hang on hang on you know we need to talk to gideon um just just hold your horses and so all the time like baby yoda's kind of sticking his head out and one trooper's hitting him on the head and the other one wants to kind of see him and then they actually show them testing their blasters and having terrible shots and them acting like it's the gun. Uh, instead it's, it's like, no, you guys just really suck. And finally IG 11 has caught up to them, takes them both out and does probably what is one of the coolest, like it's not really a chase, but it's a basically a chase sequence of him riding into town and just taking out stormtroopers and protecting baby Yoda, uh, Throughout until he gets kind of caught to where um, Mando, Kara, and Grief are, as they're pretty much like locked down in the cantina and they have no way out. They have found it like a sewer grate, but they have no explosive, which is a point of contention I'll have later on in the episode. And maybe when you watched it, you might have picked it up or were able to tell me. I missed it because if I didn't, then that's it actually creates an issue with the finale of the episode. Um, and, you know, they have a great, fantastic shootout. I mean, there's it, it's very impressive. And, and we also hear some more backstory behind we get the Mando's name, um, uh, Jin Dejarin, if I'm saying it right. Um, we uh, kind of hear more that grief was like a disgraced governor. Who you know done after his fall, kind of started running with the the guild, and that Kara was actually from Alderaan. Um, so it makes sense why she would have been a rebellion fighter. Uh, why she's kind of got this big hate for the uh, well, she calls them imps. Um, so it was really kind of cool to get a little bit of that backstory, and then we also uh, kind of get another flashback of uh mando's past uh that's actually is that further on i I can't remember but we we kind of see now that it was during the clone wars he wasn't born on on mandalore of course and um and then they kind of come up with the line like well mandalorian's not a race it's a creed uh and as you know when he was left down in that kind of cellar from his parents and the super battle droid is about ready to kill him a whole kind of squadron of Mandalorians come in and take them out and save him. So he was a foundling himself, which then kind of makes you understand why when he came across the child in the first episode, why he started kind of having a connection because it was almost directly linked to his past. Um, but during the, the firefight, Mando gets hit 
uh, is pretty, pretty bad off and uh, is telling everybody like, hey, get the child out. Leave me here. I'm done for. Um, you know, it's just go. And uh, we even get a flame trooper coming in and he's like about ready to roast the entire cantina. We get one of the coolest sequences with Baby Yoda just, you know, doing a force repel and pushing it back on him. And uh, I was I was very impressed by that scene. It was it was very well shot. And um, so they get the, everybody kind of down into the uh, the sewers. IG is still there kind of with Mando and he wants to take off his helmet because he can help heal him. Mando's like, no, I can't I can't take it off in front of you know, a living creature in IG, you know, I, I expected this line, but it was still kind of cool that it came across like IG is like, well, I'm not, I'm not living. So you don't have to worry about, and we get to see Pedro Pascal's face, you know, for a little bit. So it was a nice, like little reveal. We finally, we've been teased with it. We didn't know if we were actually going to see it and it probably would have been fine if we hadn't seen it. Uh, I kind of think back to like dread the, the, you know, kind of remake of the judge dread movie. Uh, and we never saw Carl Urban's face, uh, under the helmet. Uh, and it worked for the entire movie, even though I wanted to see his face, even though I know what Carl Urban looks like, like you still kind of want to see. Um, so it was, it was nice. And then, you know, of course, uh, IG cracks a little bit of a joke and they go down, uh, into the sewers. Uh, they want to kind of regroup with the other Mandalorians, and get them out of uh, Navarro, and they find basically just a whole clump of Mandalorian armor. And the armorer, uh, played by Elizabeth Swallow, is the only Mandalorian still around, and she kind of explains to them that, you know, some of them had to reveal themselves, and some of them died, and uh, she's there to kind of repurpose everybody's armor before she can move on. And she does some nice exposition. She uh, talks about, you know, about the Jedi a little bit and how, like, Yoda's species is always Force-sensitive, but not all of them were Jedi. And so that's why, like, Jedi were their enemies, but Yoda's species wasn't. And it was a really interesting kind of dynamic to play there. And we get kind of told that it's now uh, Mando's purpose to... Uh, reunite the child with his rightful people or basically raise him as a Mandalorian. And um, he finally gets his signet on his uh, shoulder piece and um, they want to evacuate her with them. But she says, no, I can't. My, you know, my job is is still to do, um, you know, get this all taken care of and I'll hold off any stormtroopers that come along the way. And he, uh, she gives him also the jetpack. You know, he's wanted one, and uh, he's not fully trained on it, but uh, it's the perfect timing for him to finally get one. And so they finally move on. We get a really awesome scene of where she's just kind of kneeling in front of the uh, the pit, uh, the fire pit, and um, then they all kind of inquire, like, well, where where are they? And with just like her hammer and tongs, she just beats the living shit out of everyone, throws one into the incinerator. And uh, I I thought it was a really cool scene. I've heard some people not too thrilled with it, but I I thought it was pretty awesome. I thought it was a very well choreographed fight. Um, And it was just impressive. And like, if you're going into the sense of, well, it's it's a woman or it's just a blacksmith, like, well, she's 
badass and like I had no doubt like if it's especially Mandalorians their warrior race or warrior people she's going to be trained to be able to do what she can to protect herself um, and so they're finally getting to um, kind of what is like a, a boat uh, to kind of sail out on the lava pits to kind of get to the outside and finally be outside of town and head towards the ship um, and there's a an R2 droid that's uh, kind of like, looks like it's encased in, in basically rock because of molten lava and everything. And they finally get it kind of up and running. And then it just like bursts out. It's like roided R2-D2 with legs and arms and everything. That just kind of cracked me up when that scene happened. Um, and so we kind of get some exposition. Uh, IG, they realize that there's basically a whole squadron of stormtroopers at the end of the tunnel. They're going to be dead if they don't do anything. Uh, and IG-11, you know, has a nice little conversation with Mandalorian and says, well, I'm going to sacrifice myself. Like, this will fulfill my programming. I will have protected the child, and you guys will have to then continue it on. Like, that's the only way I can do this. And it's the only way you guys can survive. And uh, so we get a really cool sequence of IG walking through the lava to the outside. And then he does his little thing like he did in episode one. Like, my programming dictates that I cannot be captured, and so I must self-destruct. And takes out the whole squadron with his thermal detonator. And uh, as our group gets out um, of the uh, lava river, all of a sudden we have Gideon's TIE fighter coming down and shooting at them. And we get probably what is one of the best sequences I've seen in Star Wars. Uh, We have Mando using the jetpack, grappling onto the TIE fighter, and basically taking on Gideon TIE fighter versus Mandalorian. Now here's the point that I have a problem with, and maybe you can um, shed some light on this. When they're in the cantina and they talk about trying to get the serial grade open, Mando says he has no explosives left. But when he's on the TIE fighter, he has a belt full of explosives. Did he pick that up at the armor? Because I, I missed it if that happened. Not that they showed. <clears throat> I mean, you could kind of... I guess if you want to have some, like... Possible deniability <laughs> say that he picked it up then, but it's definitely an explosive that would have been able to take out a sewer grate. Well, I mean, it takes <laughs> out a freaking wing of a TIE fighter, so yeah, you would you would assume so. Um, yeah, I was like, I was sitting there because I was waiting for something like that to actually happen. Like, I was waiting for, I don't know why, but I'm like, okay, that seems really important that he said he has no more explosives. I bet you at some point he's going to use an explosive. Now, they did restock up kind of a little bit at the armor, but I never necessarily saw him pick up that belt of explosives. So maybe I need to go back and rewatch it, which I definitely will because I loved it so much. Um, and, you know, we get the scene, of course, we also get a very t- kind of televised thing with the TIE fighter crashing. Um, and it wouldn't be, I think I find it now more annoying. Maybe it's more annoying on Rise of Skywalker versus this now, but like, you're like, yeah. He ain't dead. And, um, but anyways, we kind of wrap everything up. Kara is going to stay with Grief on Navarro uh, to do some work and clear out her chain code. Um, Mando is no longer going to get chased. Uh, his debt to the Bounty Hunters Guild is taken care of. Uh, they go back, they bury Quill, and uh, they, they leave. And then, of course, we get a little kind of tag scene 
We see, like, Jawas are kind of going to the TIE fighter to kind of scavenge from it. And we get uh, a noise, and all of a sudden there's a panel cut out of the side of the TIE fighter. Gideon is alive, which, surprise, surprise. But he has the Darksaber, which is a Mandalorian uh, weapon. It is basically like a lightsaber. Uh, It's been... uh, featured in Clone Wars and in Rebels. So if you haven't seen those, I'd recommend going and watching those. Those are very good shows, very good Star Wars. Um, And that's where it ends. So we have now till fall 2020, which it's not too long away. I mean, we've got eight months, you know, roughly. So it's not a super long wait. We have a little bit of a wait till we get to season two, but I'm very happy we're getting this season two. I think there's... I think we're, we might see maybe some longer episodes or we might see some more uh, kind of more focused uh, storylines, less kind of jumping just point to point with no real uh, kind of continuing arc other than him trying to protect the child. Um, we might get more of like him searching for Yoda's species. Maybe we'll even learn what Yoda's species is. Uh, doubtful. Maybe, well, doubtful. But maybe we'll also see him start training uh, baby Yoda as a Mandalorian, like we don't know. There's a lot of room for exploration. If they're going to bring Boba Fett into it, um, there would be great ample time. I know a lot of people want that. Um, So yeah, I think uh, uh, for me on this one, uh, because I don't have much more to say, I'll I'll turn it over to you, but I think I'm going to land on a, uh, I think I'm going to land on a four out of five on, on this one because some of those things that they were, uh, definitely like very forecast to me um, just like and, and the issue with the ex- explosive like I, I, I want to go back and rewatch it maybe I'll revise my score at a later time but the explosive thing really bugs me uh, knowing that Gideon wasn't going to die and and I mean it wasn't to be expected that he would die either because like why would you introduce this kind of malicious villain and then have him basically be a one-off like i i want to see more of him chasing down mando uh more learning about his character and everything like that but just kind of that yeah it's in your face like we, we forecast it for you so uh four out of five for me on this one so what, what are your thoughts so i i know that you really like the scene where ig's got the child he's going through yeah. blasting everyone but his his job is to keep the child safe but he does Bringing him directly into <laughs> harm's way is like the complete opposite of it. Well, maybe maybe if he's looking at it, because I guess you know three PO always does the the odds thing. Like he's looking at it, his best statistical probability of protecting the child is reuniting with with them. That could be. So I mean, like, and and when he's getting shot at, like when he's getting shot at from the front, um, he does kind of move. Uh, turns his body so like when he's getting shot at the front like it's not hitting Baby Yoda but we also get the really cool you know cute sequence with like Baby Yoda's mouth opening because he's so excited of moving so fast but yeah but yeah I think that statistically going back to the ship and just being like hey okay we're gonna hang out here would have been the safest option probably but it does provide you with the later part where he sacrifices himself, reuniting them. Now, let let me ask you this before you go on. What what did you think? Because I I was thinking, actually, that 
because there were some moments in the previous episode where you weren't quite sure that that's what he was going to do. I was almost convinced he was going to turn on them. Were you thinking the same thing, or were you thinking that, nah, he's going to do what Quill programmed him? No, I think that overall, I think the Quill programming worked the way that it was supposed to. Um, It also provides you with the Mandalorian finally starting to like droids, which I think come season two, we might see him have a droid. That would be pretty cool. Um, whether or not that's going to happen, I'm, I'm just spitballing right, here. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that Favreau will do what he's been doing and make it a, even better in season two. Absolutely. Um, but I, I think that the, they could have done a little bit more with the scenes in the sewer. Yeah. Um, whether or not... It, it kind of felt like they did it and then moved on, like, immediately. Um, but it they were working on the time frame of a short episode. Right. They, they always keep those around, like, 40 minutes, and then it, it kind of shortens their length to character build. Right, right. Um, and I, I'm, I'd be excited to see the armor show up in Season 2 again as well. Uh, whether or not that happens, well, I guess we'll see. I mean, she's definitely an interesting character, which, we uh, like most of the Mandalorians, we don't have any backstory on, and I wouldn't even mind like if they do just like a, an episode that's focused completely on her and her background. You know, that would have been... It would be fantastic to explore at some point. Yeah, or maybe like... They they have the potential to do a whole lot of things. Like they could do a one off. Well, and even as we've seen, they've done flashbacks, so we could get flashbacks to his training, and maybe she was part of training his particular sect of the clan or whatever. And then we can get more exposition on her. That could be. Um, and then you got the final scene, and I love the the Tie Fighter versus the jetpack with like a grappling hook. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was very bizarre, and you almost thought that he might have, like, lost control oh, yeah. and, and been thrown to the ground. It was a very exciting scene, but at at the end of the day, just jetpack over. Make sure he's dead. Like, <laughs> you make sure think. he's dead, and then he gets the Darksaber. Yeah. yeah. It's like, all right, cool, season two, jetpack, dark. Dark saber, let's go. <laughs> well, as as we've we've learned, Mandu doesn't think everything through. I mean, he got betrayed like five times before he realized he was going to get betrayed again the next time he yeah. <laughs> dealt with someone. And he also got shot in the head, so I mean, he's probably lost some lost some uh, as as brain uh, cells there. What did IG say? He said. Uh, There's been some damage to your core processing unit, and and Mando's like, wait, something's wrong with my brain, and then. IG's like, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, uh, I, I like the episode, and I think it was a great finale. I don't think that I would watch episode seven again without watching eight immediately after. Yeah, I, 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 and when, you know, because, like, you and I watched seven together, and then we both watched eight separately, and I'm like... If I didn't, if we didn't kind of need, well, not really need, but if I didn't know it was supposed to have a tie to Rise of Skywalker and I was seeing Rise of Skywalker the next night, um, I probably would have been like, you know what? Depending on what they do with this episode, I might just double it. Like, we'll just wait till the next Friday and watch them back to back. Uh, but I was also afraid of things getting spoiled because social media has been very crazy about anything Star Wars. And, uh, 
Yeah, I think now I would view it basically as an hour and 20 minute movie because like that, those two episodes are so directly linked together and they flow really well together that I, I think it's almost necessary now, even on a rewatch uh, perspective, you can watch the other episodes like kind of by themselves, but definitely, well, it actually kind of it's it's mirrored the same. The first two episodes are very directly related to each other and the final two episodes are very directly related to each other. So true. And I, I think that they set it up to where he's going to be the villain. Oh, Gideon. For, yeah. For season two as well. Yeah. And that kind of that kind of stunts the growth of the series, keeping him alive because mm-hmm. they could have moved on to something different. But at the same time, it's a it's a villain that every single character is familiar with. Right, he has ties to all of them. Right. So I think that it, I'm I'm conflicted on whether I like it or not. They could have killed him <laughs> easily. But it, it is what it is. It might have been better had they just not even done kind of the final confrontation. That, like, Gideon, after, you know, what happened on the town, just was like, all right, I'm going to cut my losses right now. Uh, I've lost a whole squadron. I've lost death troopers, everybody. That's just me. Um, but, you know, his want for the child is so great um, that I, I understand why we have that kind of final scene. We want one more big action scene before we kind of start wrapping things up. Uh, I do agree. Like, I think he's going to provide to be a very great villain. I mean, he was part of the ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau, which is basically like our CIA, it's intelligence and stuff. He's feared by everyone. And so I think it would have been really bad had they just gone, nah, he's dead. Maybe it would have been better had they just not done that kind of final thing. Like he just ran off, but then it would, that would kind of undercut it too, because then it would show he's kind of cowardly. Like he just let this, you know, band of ragtag people kind of scare him from his purpose. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's a fine, you know, edge sword in that they, they tried their best and I, I don't know of a better way that they could have done it. And, and overall, I think with his, with his knowledge of the child, I think he'll be able to provide insight on where, where it came from, right. what's going on with that. And that's probably what's going to end up happening. Either he gets captured or he gives everything away in a fight scene because he's so cocky like every other show. Right, or a James Bond movie. And, basically. <laughs> um, going to destroy everything. Okay. But overall, I, I'd like to land on a 4.5 out of 5 just because the, I, I can overlook some the, of the small stuff. Some of the small stuff just for how enjoyable it was. And I think it provided a great finale for a already great series. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, like, just kind of, in all honesty, this is the best thing to happen to Star Wars in a long time. Um, I, I, I really say that now, like, legitimately, John Favreau, uh, Dave Filoni, Deborah Chow, all of them, everyone who worked on this show uh, has been the best thing to happen to Star Wars. Like, we've had some kind of upsets here and there, uh, and this is enough to start kind of restoring the faith in, in the franchise and, and future shows and stuff like that. Like, if if, and I'm going to say it, I don't like Kathleen Kennedy. I, I, I really don't. 
she has said a lot of things. She has made a lot of actions that has hurt Star Wars. Uh, the sequel trilogy has been a bit of a mess because of, of this. Um, that I I really think she, she needs to go. And I think her contract is up in uh, 2021. So if... You know, they can have a smooth transition. I say give it to Favreau and have, like, Dave Filoni as his number two, and we just we go from there. And I think that that would be the best way to go and start restoring people's faith in Disney and in Disney Star Wars. I think the best thing that Star Wars could do, uh, Disney Star Wars could do, is just kind of lock Favreau up in a room somewhere and just have him write constantly. <laughs> that way they have hey, follow-up follow shows, follow-up movies for decades to come. <laughs> they'll, they'll <laughs> well, he's essentially doing what he did for Marvel. I mean, like, he, with him doing Iron Man, that just the reinvigorated Marvel, at least Marvel movies. Um, comics, they had a nice boost for a while, and now it's down in the dumps. Um, but, like... He, he has such a love for the material and he's such a fanboy himself. Like, and that's what I like about Dave Filoni too. Cause I mean, you go and you watch Clone Wars and you watch rebels, like the man gets star Wars. These two men get star Wars. And I think every creative person that worked on this season got star Wars. Whereas, and I'm not saying Ryan Johnson doesn't get star Wars, but Ryan Johnson wanted to do what his star Wars is. And, that's not the best way to to approach that. You're going to appease yourself, fine, but you've got to take a, an account a greater uh, fan base. Like this is one thing I don't like to debate, and I'm not going to debate it on here. Maybe we we can do it at some point. But um, I know when my brother got out of uh, Rise of Skywalker, he said true Star Wars fans will like this movie, and I'm like. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the debate of true Star Wars fans. If you're going to define the term true Star Wars fan, to me, a true Star Wars fan is the one who deals with the good and the bad. Like, they can they can watch it, they can be upset about some things, but overall, it's Star Wars. It means so much to them that they, they don't just drop it because it didn't appeal to something particular fantasy in their own heads, which we might get into when we talk about Rise of Skywalker. Um so I think like with what Favreau and all of them have done on this, the show is they've done what they wanted to do, but they made sure that they were hitting points that everyone likes, or at least the wide scale audience likes. Um, and I think that that's why this is probably one of the best things that happened to Star Wars is I think almost unanimously all Star Wars fans whether they be true Star Wars fans or whether they're not true Star Wars fans, agree that this show was good. That it that every, almost everything appealed about it, and it's not just Baby Yoda. Because, like, yeah, Baby Yoda appeals to all the cuteness factor in everybody, but everyone liked Mando. We liked Kara. We liked Grief. We liked all the characters introduced, and nothing felt forced. Nothing felt... Uh, hammy, nothing felt preachy. It was just being Star Wars. And I think that that's what really uh, makes the show work. So I think for like an overall season score for me, I'm going to land on a 4.5. I, I, 
I can't land on a five, obviously, because, you know, episodes here and there were good and episodes here were just okay. But uh, I think like this, it's going to be hard, I think, for them to follow up on in season two. Like now that they've had such a very successful season, trying to live up to it will be okay. But if they try to exceed it, and then they fail, it's going to hurt it overall. And I, I don't want that to happen. I just want them to go in with the same intent that they went into this first season of just telling a good Star Wars story. Don't try to top yourself. Just go in, go, we're going to continue the story, and we're just going to try our best damn job as possible to tell a good story. Yeah, I mean, it's already great. Don't don't try to reinvent the wheel. Right. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm for a score for me, I'm just going to land on a give Favreau uh, Star Wars out of five. We'll, we'll just we'll leave it with that. Makes make Star Wars great again. Basically. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we are now going to move into our review of Rise of Skywalker. All right. So Rise of Skywalker is obviously a very divisive film, uh, to say the least. I to kind of front load it or to not bury the lead. I liked it. I have some issues with it, but I, I liked it. Um, I I think the people that have issues with it are the people who really liked Last Jedi. And I think that the people who really like it are people who had problems with Last Jedi. I mean, I think it's just as simple as that. Uh, some, some of the complaints I've seen is that it, it abandoned stuff that they set up in Last Jedi. But hey, to be fair, Last Jedi abandoned a lot of stuff that Force Awakens set up. So uh, our... I, and I will say, too, that this has the worst opening crawl um, of the sequel trilogy. I do not like the dead speak. And then it talks about Palpatine sending out a message and, and the galaxy hearing it, that apparently you had to play Fortnite to hear that message. Um, it wasn't anything impressive. I saw a video uh, of, of it, but it was just like, OK, whatever. Um, and also, I think... You had to play Vader Immortal, the VR game that's, I think, exclusively on Oculus right now to understand that the planet that Kylo's on at the very beginning is Mustafar. Um, but oh well, I mean, even if it was or wasn't Mustafar, like the second time, because I've seen it twice, uh, the second time I noticed that it was Mustafar from when his ship was actually going down to the planet because I could see kind of from the space view of it, like the lava, you know, going around. But um, Kylo is uh, kind of concerned now after hearing this kind of transmission from uh, Palpatine and he goes to Mustafar to find a Sith Wayfinder. Um, I would have been more happy had they uh, actually just said it was a holocron versus a Wayfinder. But I know if I remember correctly, Wayfinders were introduced in Rebels um, TV show. I need to go back and rewatch those to be 100% sure. But he goes there and, and finds it and is able to travel to the unknown regions and the planet Exegol where Palpatine has been hiding um, since he was basically dead in um, Return of the Jedi. And it's revealed that Palpatine had created Snoke uh, to basically control Kylo and turn him to the dark side and create the first order. I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, I mean, it, at least it provided some explanation of who to who Snoke was. Uh, it kind of turned, 
my idea of who's like how they could have explained Snoke surviving Last Jedi a little bit and twisting it on its head. But, you know, it is what it is. But Palpatine basically enlists Kylo to take out Rey, um, who is with the Resistance and training with Leia. Um, and they're all kind of trying to find a way to win against the First Order. Uh, a whole new, basically, armada of uh, Star Destroyers, all with cannons that basically have the power of a Death Star, uh, kind of come up from underground, which I'm like, how did they get underground in the first place? Oh, well, that's minor. Those are minor things. Um, we learn that there is a um, spy within the First Order who is giving them information, tells them about this, and... Um, and enlist them to kind of basically to warn everybody that, you know, the emperor is back, uh, how he came back. They kind of gloss over. Uh, I've got my own theories. I don't know if you have yours, but uh, I, I kind of have an idea about it. And uh, basically, I don't want to go through like beat and beat of, of the movie, but uh, Ray, Finn and Poe, they go to a planet to basically try to find uh, clues to where the next Wayfinder is because there's only two of them. Uh, during that time, they run into Lando, which is a fun, great scene. Uh, I think it was like, a little brutal for you when he shows up because uh, they have a, get caught by a stormtrooper who then immediately gets shot in the eye with a crossbow. Yeah, brutal. <laughs> it was very brutal. Uh, but, you know, basically then you know, they go follow some clues. Uh, Chewie gets captured. Uh, Ray believes she ends up killing Chewie. Uh, so she starts kind of doubting herself. Um, and we, we get some, you know, we get some, we get some moments, we get explanations. Uh, we do get a final showdown. I don't really want to keep going through bit by bit on, on the story points. Um, basically our whole plot is stop Palpatine. And, um, now what I feel that this movie did that doesn't quite work is I feel like it, it, it is overfeeding you quick exposition or quick plot points. I think it was everything that J.J. had wanted to do after uh, Force Awakens. It was seeds he had planted, and then Last Jedi happened that basically threw that all out and did what it wanted to do, and now he's like, well, crap, we've got to do something because we have no idea where to take this. And I think that's the greatest flaw to the sequel trilogy is it wasn't really planned. Um, I think that they should have locked in JJ for all three movies. He should have been writing all three movies. He should have been telling his star Wars story. Um, I, we do get a lot of great new moments. We get some really great new characters. I really liked, uh, Zari or Zori, uh, who's kind of like a female Boba Fett in a sense. Um, I thought, her chemistry with Poe was really good, and I, I kind of like their their scenes together. Um, we get Babu Frick, who everyone is kind of losing their minds around. Which I mean, I, I liked Babu Frick too, but I, I I don't see why everyone's kind of losing losing their minds about him. Uh, it has the great like for me, uh, what makes a really good Star Wars movie is the space battles, and this has one of the best. It's not fantastic. It's not why, like, I love Return of the Jedi so much. And what's really funny, I realize this, like, I'm, uh, other than in the prequels, I think I'm in the unpopular uh, opinion of 
Return of the Jedi is my favorite of the original trilogy. Rise of Skywalker is my favorite of this trilogy. And Revenge of the Sith, I think everyone agrees, is the best of the prequel trilogy. But uh, we have a really cool space battle. We see the ghost from Rebels in there. Uh, I love that ship, and I love seeing it flying around. And we've got Lando back in the Falcon. Uh, we got a lot of great moments. And we got reveals that I, I don't... So... <laughs> This is, I know it's kind of a scatterbrain review, but I'm just kind of it's kind of how the movie is, to be honest. It, it throws a lot of things at the beginning and then it just goes with a nonstop pace, which I think works, but also kind of hurts it a little bit because it, it is it's not the shortest Star Wars movie, but it's also not the longest Star Wars movie. And I almost felt like we could have had this be two movies in of itself. So it could have taken its time and pacing and hitting those plot points and explaining things a little bit better. Um, like we don't have the explanation of how Palpatine's alive. My little theory is, uh, the body that he is in is a clone. I mean, that's from the old EU. That's how he came back. Um, and basically by him coming back, uh, or maybe depending on how many times he tried to come back, it's left that body weakened and decayed and, uh, he really can't do anything. And uh, then, you know, we have Ray. Big spoiler alert. So if you're still listening and you haven't seen this, stop now. Don't be <laughs> mad at me for, for spoiling this. I'm giving you plenty of warning. Ray is a Palpatine. Now, I don't dislike that she's a Palpatine. It explains a lot a bit about how she's so strong in the Force and everything. Uh, it, it's a nice kind of uh, dichotomy of... You had um, someone, you know, basically Skywalker being light side, uh, being corrupted to the dark side in Anakin and being redeemed by his son. Now you have a Palpatine who is basically all, well, her lineage being basically all evil and all Sith, trying her best to be of the light side. And uh, I thought that was a really cool, impressive dynamic there is one thing I would do a little bit differently, though. Um, and again, like this is about his essence kind of possessing a clone body. He says, strike me down and then I will pour my essence into you, essentially, basically wiping Ray out and just ruling as Ray. Um, and how I would have done this final scene a little bit differently as you have the kind of final showdown with her and Emperor Palpatine is... Um, because she does die. I mean, she she dies at the end of this. But Ben, and from the stuff that we got introduced from uh, from Episode 7 of The Mandalorian, Ben revives her by doing the Force Heal, which she herself has, did earlier in the movie, uh, but it, it you know was to a smaller extent. And I kind, of in, I kind of anticipate, I said, well, he's bringing someone back from the dead, essentially, it's going to cost him his own life because they they say it, giving a bit of yourself to heal another. Whereas when Palpatine drains from them, that's that's kind of the Sith drain. That's something from the games and from the old EU and everything. So you want to complain about you know the Force heal, then you have to complain about the the Sith drain. But it's stuff that's not completely out there. Um, so you know, obviously weakened both of them. So there was really no way that one of them wasn't going to come back alive. At one point, I'm sitting in the theater. I'm thinking, all right, he's going to heal her. He's going to die. She's going to heal him. She's going to die. They're just going to keep going back and forth. You know, I was like, if they really, I, I was like, I know they're not going to do that. But I, I was like, 
the thought crossed my mind. It'd be a very millennial thing. No, yeah. I want to die. <laughs> right. Um, now, what I would have done differently there, because actually, you know, people were all about the whole, oh, Raylo, you know, let's have them be a couple. It felt more right in this one that, like, had that been how it ended, like, they ended up together, I would have been okay with it. But, uh, knowing what they did there, it was like, okay, fine, Ben died. But she goes on to call herself a Skywalker at the end of the movie because this whole thing is the rise of Skywalker. Well, that's not, that's not really right. Like, I get it. You're, you're saying the bloodlines aren't important. You're choosing your name. Okay, fine. I understand it. But I think the best way that they would have done this, and I think it might have made, because a lot of people dislike Ray. I don't, I don't hate Ray. I, I actually like Ray, and I am one who says, yeah, I, I understand why she's so good with the lightsabers, because she's trained herself on Jakku all that time as a scavenger with her bow staff. So, like, I, I don't really have any issues. She's very f- Force-sensitive, like Anakin was. He didn't need necessarily any training to be able to do some things with the Force. Uh, I mean, it got more refined, but he was able to do some stuff. So I don't particularly hate Ray, but I, I, my thinking is the best way that they could have actually ended this was she sacrifices herself. She's redeemed Ben and Ben is the rise of Skywalker. Like you have Ben going on and carrying on the uh, legacy of the Skywalkers. Like that's how I would have done it, but I don't begrudge JJ. He, I, I mean, he really took an impossible task upon himself. Like he had to appease everyone that was pissed off by the last Jedi. And then he had to try to appease the people who loved the last Jedi. And he had to appease Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger. And I mean, this was a monumental task and for what we got, I'm very fine with it. Um, now a lot of people also don't understand how, um, and as I'm looking at the the Wikipedia, they say it's a memory of his father. How Han comes back? Do you have any thoughts on on that? Not really. Okay. I mean, so there there there's a and you'll miss this if you're really kind of not paying attention to it. Um, so Maz, when one of the most impressive things, and I know you disagree a little bit, is how they were able to make Leia work in this movie. She's now, when I say in it, she's not fully in it for half the movie, but she has scenes that last, like, uh, spattered out that make up to about the midway point of the film before they figure it out, or, you know, they do with her what they do with her. Um, that I thought really worked, but when it's the final moment, and it's when Rey and uh, Kylo are fighting uh, outside the remnants of the old Death Star uh, on, the, on another moon of Endor... Um, Ma says she's doing what she has to, um, basically to save Ben and she has Han's medal. And when she goes to lay down, I think she used all of her essence, all of her force to bring the one person back for a brief moment to convince Ben to go back to the light side. That's that's my thoughts. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say on that. I, I think that'd probably be like the best way to explain it. Um, it and I mean, with with how they did Leia, I feel like every scene was just her saying like a blank statement that could have been used in any of the any of the 
the uh, trilogy. Here. Right. Well, I mean, it was unused footage. So, I mean, yeah. it was stuff that they had filmed that they managed to at least write the scenes around that they could they could fit it. Um, but I, I do also really like that kind of uh, symmetry with Han and Ben on the Death Star and how Han and Kylo were on Starkiller because it's almost the same scene mm-hmm. of like, you know, I'm afraid to do what I know I need to do. And he, and he Han basically telling him like yeah you have you have the ability to do it and he throws the lightsaber whereas in you know Force Awakens he kills Han I, I thought it was a nice symmetry I think it I think that was in there to appease some people who were upset with how Han died you know and I mean knowing that Harrison Ford didn't I wanted Han killed back in Empire like he didn't really want this to become like one of his known world roles, but he is so well loved in it. Uh, I thought it was a nice, like cap to that. And, um, and it was nice seeing kind of Ben coming to the light side. And there was another point I was going to make, but now my, my mind's too scattered on this as it is. Um, so there, there are a lot of good moments and I think she used basically Hans metal to, to kind of invoke that, that, spirit to come back and visit him uh, for a moment i thought it was almost that it was like uh that uh luke had come to to say something to him i think that would have maybe been the better moment to introduce luke as a force ghost um but at the same time i really appreciated that that symmetry and that this was what it was um right before he throws the lightsaber he says dad i and han's response is i know and I was talking to you after after we saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah, he was going to say I love you, and it's kind of reminiscent of Empire uh, when Leia says I love you, and he goes, I know. Uh, I thought that was really cool. So um, other things that I, I really enjoyed, or um, I did like her lightsaber at the very end. Uh, I, I wish we would have seen maybe it more in action. Like uh, it was just a brief moment, and so maybe we'll, we'll see something at some point. I don't know. Um, now as for kind of some of the bad, like, well, I have one good moment, one more good moment. Cause you hate it, but I, I really liked it, uh, was when, um, Ben is running to kind of get to Ray on Exegol and he's surrounded by the Knights of Ren and he has no weapon and they're all circling him. And finally he's like, got his arms out and he just kind of like nods like, okay, let's do this. I know you didn't like that. I like it. I just felt like they tried to give him this goofy personality at the end when throughout the entire thing, he's this badass guy that's like going around destroying everything. True. True. But I, I, I personally liked it. I, I, I thought it was, it was, you know, it was, it was brash. I, I don't know. Too goofy. <laughs> just, didn't feel right with me. Um, so as for like things that I, I didn't particularly like, um, I, I, I would have rather that Richard E. Grant's character had been Thrawn, uh, because he kind of plays a Thrawn type character with, uh, uh, general pride or whatever his, his title was. Um, but I get from like with what rebels did with Thrawn, that would have been really difficult to do. Uh, I wish Lando would have been more in the movie and I, I still have kind of complaints cause I, I saw something that, uh, Ryan Johnson couldn't have figured out or said he didn't figure out or couldn't know of a way to get Lando in, in last Jedi and the whole master code breaker. I remember when I was sitting in the theaters, when Maz talks about the master code breaker, I'm like, it's Lando, it's Lando, it's Lando. And it's not. 
And so I'm like, you had the perfect moment to introduce Lando into this. But when he's in the scenes, it's Billy D doing doing his Lando, and it's great and enjoyable every second of it. Um, one thing that I like and I dislike, again, also in the finale, is Rey's reaching out to all the Jedi. And you hear the voices of the Jedi, and unless like you can have really, really good hearing and visualization, like unless it's uh, Hayden Christensen doing Anakin or uh, Ewan McGregor doing um, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Mace Windu, uh, Qui-Gon, like you could pick those up fairly easily. But then you have Ahsoka um, and then you have also uh, some of uh, Illuminara is one of the other Jedi. Uh, Leia Secura was one of the other Jedi. Kanan from Rebels was one of the other Jedi, but they're so kind of quick. And I don't know why we didn't like at least see some type of force ghost. You know, it would have been more appropriate had even I think I saw an animation uh, or at least like someone did some artwork where as she's standing up to face Palpatine for the final time, they had all the force ghosts behind her. And that would have been great. Like even if you'd just done the voices, but then did the force ghosts behind her as that showing that kind of force and effort into defeating him would have been fantastic. And I don't know why they did. They didn't do that. It, it, I think it's just a missed opportunity. Um, not everyone has the same right. vision of what they want. And I think that it's one of those things that they just kind of push to the, the later scene. Yeah. I don't disagree. And I, from what I understand too, that JJ has a cut and that's going to become the new Snyder cut. I'm going to tell you. Cause like they're talking about, it was like three hours long and had all this other stuff in there. And it, uh, Hayden Christensen actually filmed a cameo scene and, and stuff as Anakin. I don't know if we'll ever see it, but you know, I, I, I still liked this overall. If we get that, we'll get that and I'll, I'll watch it. But, um, I thought th- this is very much a return of the like as much as the force awakens was like a new hope kind of mirror this is definitely a mirror of return of the jedi a little bit um so there that i think that's part of why i i I do like it even with some of the gripes i have uh i didn't have any gripes with like the humor uh i know some people were like oh it's got the marvel style humor i'm like yeah but i mean it was fine. It wasn't annoying. You know, it wasn't anything I was like, they were hitting you over the head with one other thing. I also like with the Palpatine, um, uh, bloodline, like Palpatine having a son. I mean, granted he was a politician, mm-hmm. so he probably had some side piece somewhere around that. He just, <laughs> you know, knocked up and didn't, you know, really care about having a kid. But I, I, I have a hard time kind of, believing that though you know like it, it just it's not something that's been explored uh or talked about and so it, it's it's the the problem i have with the palpatine like bloodline with her being a palpatine you know there just wasn't enough there to really kind of win me over on that uh i still kind of would have preferred she'd been a skywalker uh, it would have made more sense, like, uh, if she had been, like, Luke's kid. Like, it would have made more sense Luke having a one-night stand with someone after Return of the Jedi and having a child that he didn't know about. Um, would have made more sense to me than a Palpatine. But I, I did have, like, a, a WTF moment when they did reveal she was a Palpatine. So uh, I don't have much more to say about it. Uh, I... I 
there were missed opportunities. There were things that I wish that they would have done a little bit differently. But knowing the battle that he had to face putting this movie together, shooting this movie, who he had to uh, appease to uh, was very difficult. And there was uh, one there is one more thing I want to point out because I pointed out to you after after we saw it. And I thought this was a really nice homage. Billy Lord, who is uh, Carrie Fisher's daughter on the on the fight scene uh, um, in Exegol, where they've got the uh, troops on this on the Star Destroyer. Uh, she is dressed in the same costume and has the same hairstyle as Leia did in Return of the Jedi. And I thought that was a nice little homage for Billy to do that as kind of an honor to her mom. Uh, as for a score, I think I'm going to land on... I, I'm going to land on a four out of five. Um, I, I think it's it's good enough. Um, I don't know what they're going to do next, but I think as a as a cap to this trilogy, it was it was okay. And as kind of wrapping up the Skywalker saga, well, I mean technically all the Skywalkers are wiped out, so I, I you know I just whatever. But I I would I wouldn't mind seeing more Adventures of Rey. I would like to see Rey training a future generation of Jedi, like much like I wanted to see Luke do that. And that's another like thing I'm wondering about, like the Knights of Ren they weren't really, they were underused. I think they were meant to play a bigger purpose with what JJ introduced, um, in force awakens that I think that they were the other students. Cause that's, that is a line that is mentioned in, um, last Jedi that Ben took some of the students with him. And I think that they were some of the, you know, students of, of Luke, but I would like to see her train a new generation of D- Jedi, whether it be in another movie or maybe a, a one season show for Disney plus. Although I, I think they've all said that they don't want to do any of the shows. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what I've got to say about it. So what's your take? I've so, talked long enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll just kind of touch on some things that I liked and things that I didn't like real quick. Uh, starting, I'll, I'll try to go as chronological as possible. Yeah, to be a better offset to me. <laughs> uh, so starting off, I, I really like the scene where they're uh, light speed jumping oh, yeah. the Millennium Falcon. And I think that's something that we haven't really seen before. And it, it just kind of kept ending up in the wrong spot. <laughs> but it, it was it worked to get the... What was it? Were, were the TIE Fighters that were chasing them? Yeah, yeah. Okay. TIEs were chasing them. Uh, it worked to get the TIE Fighters off their tail. Right. Um, and then they were like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. Um, and and then to go more into things I liked, uh, I, I did like Lando every time he was on screen. I, you already touched on this. Yeah. It, it was Lando. Um, Cinder, my love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it I, there's there's so much going on in the movie that it, it is hard to stay in in line with, yeah. <laughs> with it. Um, I did I didn't like how they tried to give Ben that weird personality at the end where he's like a goofy dude. It's like, what what are you doing right now? It's love, man. <laughs> and I, I think that that might have been something that Adam Driver kind of... Oh, I'm, I, yeah, I have a own. feeling that was him. Because um, he is kind of a quirky guy. Um, and then I, I didn't like how the Leia send-off wasn't as great as it could have been. But, I mean, they're working with limited footage. Right. It is what it is. Right. I, maybe if they did this in the second 
if they did an eight. It yeah, would I think you and I. Better. I think you and I both agree. Like, had Last Jedi kind of like moved on with with the Thane, um, that you know they killed her on the ship. Like, then they wouldn't have had to worry about it. But I understand they wanted her to be the focus of this, and I almost would have rather. And I, I mean, people might say this would have been disgra- excuse me, disgraceful to Carrie Fisher, but instead of kind of running that risk. You're setting this kind of maybe months or maybe a year after Last Jedi. We don't really quite know um, that maybe she died during that time. Maybe there was a strike and she died in battle. And but she had already completed her training for Rey. And then maybe you could use. I don't think you could have used many of those scenes, but you could have done something then. Maybe with a Force Ghost or like just even having Luke kind of do explanation like, well, Leia wasn't trained to be able to do a Force. Not that Luke was really trained either, per se, but could have done something, you know, uh, to to work around that without running the risk of that falling a little flat. Yeah. And and like I said, every single scene could have been used at any point. Right. Um, I also. Oh, man, I had one thing that I was going to say. The, the scene where it kind of gives you the idea that she is a Palpatine when she's trying to drag the oh, yeah. transporter back down that had has Chewie on it but doesn't have Chewie right. on it. And you get that force lightning and you're like, oh, okay, I see yeah. where this is going. And I think that most people can kind of come to the assumption where they were taking that. And when that brings me back to one of the earlier things where I was talking about the Moff Gideon thing. You had his, uh, Kylo's uh, TIE fighter crash, and of course, he survives that crash. So yeah, that, that's, they, did it, they did it one too many times. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I was okay with the four ceiling in this. They, I think they did it. Oh, did they do it three times? Or two yes, times? there's the snake-like creature, and then she does yep. it to Ben after she, quote-unquote, kills Kylo. Yeah, well, I mean... And you said it was a little bit less, but I mean, a saber blade to the gut. Yeah. Probably wouldn't feel too good. No, no. Um, but yeah, I, I think doing it three times, prob- probably the right amount. Yeah, just yeah. Just to kind of show show you that she can do it. Show Ben that it's something that can be done. Right. And then in the end, him finally giving it. And, and I think like at that moment, when they're on the second Death Star, he... Uh, he would not have been able to do it. He would have been able to force drain like Palpatine does, mm-hmm. but he would not have been able to heal. And so by the end with him being able to gone back to the light side, he has that ability. Now kind of mention that. What were your thoughts? Uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt like on your, your train here, but of the dark side Ray that we see the vision. Honestly, I think that it could have been cool to see more of it. It was too short. It was too short. And I, oh man, it, they could have used that so much better. Yes, I agree. And, but like we said, this, it's a short jumps throughout yeah. the entire movie and, and underused material. Right. Um, and then I'll just touch on one last thing that I liked. And I, I like the end scene where everyone shows up yes. to take out everything. Yes. Actually, I got two things. Okay. I, I like that end scene, but I also liked uh, Finn and I can't remember. Jaina. Jaina. The, the chemistry there was fantastic, especially in the end scene when they're fighting on the uh, Star Destroyers. Right. Um, 
and then eventually getting out after everything's blown up. Now, let me ask you this, too. Uh, did you figure out what he wanted to tell Ray? No. Okay. So, I mean, my initial my initial take on it, of course, now after seeing it twice, I, I get it now. My initial take on it was he was wanting to tell Ray he loved her. Because I thought that they kind of had started that chemistry in, in Force Awakens a little bit. And that's what annoyed me about Rose being introduced in, like... Last Jedi, like she kind of tried to take that and become that relationship thing. Uh, and uh, it didn't quite work out for me because I, I just Rose wasn't an interesting character for me. Um, but I did like the relationship with Jaina like that. But he actually is force sensitive. Um, so if you when you rewatch it, you'll notice there are certain points where he's like when they're at the snake, he's like, no, don't like. And then he, he goes, uh, oh, I had a feeling. And then uh, he actually when Ray dies, mm-hmm. he senses it. Because uh, he stops in the corridor of the Falcon. So it was wanting to tell Ray he wanted to try to be trained. Yeah, I, I figured the, the love thing would have been, like, too obvious and right. cheesy. And I, I didn't think that it was that. But that actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that'll wrap it up for me. I'm going to land on a 3.5 out of 5. Um, like I said, it underused material and just... Some things just didn't work. Yeah. I mean, cinematically, it's beautifully shot. It's oh, very definitely. well acted. Cinematography, everything like that. It it all was very competent filmmaking. I just think there was kind of this um, level of expectations that they weren't going to meet regardless. Now, had Last Jedi gone differently for, for fans, uh, I think that that would have maybe made it a little bit easier. But... At the same time, this is why I think if they're going to do another trilogy, I mean, they're fine doing like and Ryan Johnson. I know loves Star Wars and I and he's a very competent filmmaker. You know, I love his other movies. I still need to see Knives Out. But, um, you know, Brick is one of my favorite films. He 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 likes Star Wars. He loves Star Wars. I can tell that. But he just he wanted to do what he wanted to do with characters that weren't his characters. So I, I feel like if he does his own trilogy, that's maybe going to happen, not going to happen. I think when he works with new characters, his own characters, he'll tell a great star Wars, you know, story. I, I don't think like that was purely him being a bad filmmaker. I just think it was him doing what he had in his mind for his vision and not, okay, I've got to take into account what other people are expecting. And that's, and I think that that's where a lot of the backlash from critics on this are, is people who loved Last Jedi and loved what it did and things it set up and that set up, started setting up the, the Kylo Ray relationship and uh, discarded Snoke so easily because, oh, who cares? We don't want this guy. Uh, you know, we're going to do whatever we want to do. We're going to take a whole freaking Indiana Jones and uh, Raiders of Lost Ark moment of going to Canto Bight to get something or get someone, and you would have had the same result had they not even gone to Canto Bight. But uh, uh, I think that's a, people who really loved Last Jedi uh, didn't really like this film. People who were really upset with Last Jedi liked this film. I, I, I can see it's very divisive amongst uh, people... Heck, I know there are people who even dislike Last Jedi who didn't like this movie, that they just see it's a complete coming full circle of Disney Star Wars failing completely. And like I said, I think 
if you're just a Star Wars fan, whether you're a true Star Wars fan or you're not a true Star Wars fan, which isn't a thing, I think you're going to take the good with the bad. It's Star Wars. It's in the it's in the universe that we love. That yeah, not all of it's going to be great, but some of it is. You know, I mean, there have been bad comic books. There have been bad EU books. It's just how it goes. You know, it's it's how any creative process goes. We've had some bad episodes of the podcast. I can tell you that very early on. Wasn't great. (laughs) Possibly this one. (laughs) Who knows? I was actually very hesitant to do a review of Rise of Skywalker. I didn't tell you this, but you wanted to review it for the podcast. Uh, I didn't even put my thoughts out on Twitter. Um, You know, I, I, I was so afraid uh, of what type of backlash I would get if I said positive thoughts. Cause I saw somebody who's fairly prominent on Twitter. I follow her. Uh, she, she does great work and I, I like a lot of the takes she has. She absolutely hated this movie. Every second of it hated it. And a lot of it focused on the, the Kylo Ray relationship and what happens at the end of this movie. And I'm like, Okay, but that's something you built up in your own head. You built that relationship up. Like, I built up the relationship with Finn and Ray. Relationship? Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. You're, you're no longer on the podcast. And, <laughs> and the podcast ends. Um, no, I, I just, like, as much as I built up Finn and Ray having potential chemistry and having a relationship, when that didn't pan out, I didn't go, Oh, my God, these assholes. No, Star Wars is dead. Star Wars is dead. No. I, I mean, she's entitled to that opinion. I'm not going to discount her for that opinion. But I don't think you need to approach it from that vitriol, you know. You're coming from a very emotive response. And, like, the kind of that's, uh, you know, the point of the podcast and the point of, I think, film criticism in general is you've got to take your personal beliefs or personal uh, perspectives kind of out of it and look at the film for what it is and try to be as objective as possible. Are there things that I, I could really trash in this movie on that I didn't like? Of course, but I don't think that that's actually overall reflective of the movie. I think that that's just my personal things that I bring to the table that go, yeah, I didn't quite like that, but I'm still going to watch this movie. Like, I mean, I can I can get over that. It's much like with our Noel review. Like, I there was stuff that I neglected to talk about because that's it's just a me thing. And uh, someone you and I follow on YouTube and on Twitter, uh, he put out a tweet about really liking, or well, he said he kind of liked the new Star Wars. And boy, he said, what did he say? He said, I have never written a most more divisive tweet than that tweet. And and this guy writes some pretty divisive stuff from from time to time. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't have much else to say. You got any final thoughts? Just overall, I think going in with an open mind to any movie and not saying that you're the true fan or someone's a fake fan. Yeah. Like, just... Go in with your opinion, and and at the end of the day, it's your opinion. Yeah. Everyone everyone can have one, <laughs> and ours is... It's like an asshole. Everyone has one. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but ours is that we, we kind of like yeah, the yeah. Star Wars. You know, it, it's, like, it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't uh, complete garbage. Even Last Jedi, like I have issues with it, but there are a lot of good moments of filmmaking in there, and I can appreciate it for, for what it is as a film. It's... No matter what, even the prequels, like I, I know when I saw the episode one, I really loved it. I know because I was young, I was a young kid. 
the Star Wars, your lightsabers, pew pew, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then I saw Attack of the Clones. Of course, that was like two years later, and I was starting to kind of be more mature. And I didn't like it as much. I, I didn't like the whole love story in it. And then uh, I, you know, Revenge of the Sith, I, I really enjoyed, and I was even older at that point. I can still go back and rewatch those prequels, even. And I actually, I can appreciate more of the Phantom Menace now than I did when I was kind of in, in a divisive moment where I was like, yeah, this isn't really that great for me. I don't really care about, you know, the tat- most of the Tatooine stuff could have been kind of cut out. Some of the trade stuff could have been cut out, but you get a really cool character in Darth Maul. Like each of these entries, regardless of they, if they were good or bad, have introduced great characters or great concepts. Like I would like to see more of Zo- uh, Zori and, and future films or in shows or something like that. Cause they introduced her and she has enough of a mysterious background that like, heck you could explore whatever you want there. And so I, I really just like, I, I, I don't think it's an us or a them thing. I, I really don't. I, I think that that's the bad way to approach it. I think it's just, Hey, let's go watch it for what it is. And yeah, we might enjoy some things. We might not enjoy some things. My dad, this was his favorite. And as far as I know of like, Star Wars movies, he's only seen this sequel trilogy and Rogue One. And uh, he really liked this one because he said it wrapped everything up. It made sense to him. My dad has a hard time following movies sometimes or shows when they jump around a lot. And he really enjoyed it. And like when we saw Suicide Squad, he really enjoyed Suicide Squad. And, uh, you know, it was just like people hated Suicide Squad, but he you know, one of the complaints about Suicide Squad was it was hard to follow. My dad was recounting the entire story of my mom in the car when we went and picked them up uh, from our trip. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's how film goes. Like nothing. There is literally no perfect movie. I mean, there are going to be things that people aren't going to like about something. We all find something we don't like about something. We all find things that we don't like about ourselves. But that doesn't diminish the piece per se. It is still what it is. And I think that's part of the problem I have with something like Rotten Tomatoes. If it gets a score of 10%, people automatically discount that movie and say it can't be a good movie. Um, this one's currently sitting on a 56%. So by Rotten Tomatoes standards, it's saying that this is a bad movie. Definitively, objectively, this is a bad movie. But it's not. It really isn't. So I think that's uh, where I'm going to leave it at there. I I would recommend go see it in theaters. I know I'm going to purchase it as soon as it comes out. Uh, I'm going to rewatch that trilogy, and I will probably have a hard time fitting all nine movies in, or actually was 11 movies now, on uh, my May the 4th you know, viewing. So It'll probably run over until the 5th and 6th. Well, it, it is, I think... It will run 20 hours. I think that is the it's long, whole... It's a long day. Yeah, that is a very <laughs> long day. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll make it the, the nine films of the main arc or something like that that at least cuts out four hours, so it's a 16-hour... or Yeah, 16-hour day. I don't do math well. It's still a long day. It's still a long day. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. I know we were having a long one today, but... Uh, we really had a fun time doing this, um, and we'll be having, uh, you know, more episodes, of course, coming on in the future. Maybe at some point, like what we're doing with Terminator, we'll do an individual, 
uh, breakdown and then an overall uh, franchise review at some point. I'm not going to promise it anytime soon, but uh, we really appreciate everybody. We're growing. Uh, we're getting some steady listens now, and I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. We're still small. Not going not gonna to lie, we're still small, but uh, we're, I think we're starting to find a, a footing audience, and I think part of that starts with uh, our Mandalorian reviews. So I think we're going to do some more shows like that at some point. Uh, I think Witcher would be a really good one for us to start doing. Uh, I know I've finished it already, but you're, you've just started. Uh, so maybe we can do maybe two episode reviews at a time when we can fit them in. And uh, I know we're going to start doing some... Uh, once a month, we'll start doing a, a themed type episode where we might reach out to you guys on Twitter, ask us, ask you guys if there's a particular genre you want us to talk about, a particular decade, any type of old films you want to hear our thoughts on, or even a particular actor. A particular actor, some of some of their work, uh, we would gladly do it. I mean, uh, we're we're having a good fun time with this. Um, we're constantly improving, and uh, all I've got to finally say is uh, if you're not following us already on Twitter, you can follow us at Critics NT Cynics. Uh, if you want to write into the podcast, um, you can write it write to us at Critics Not Cynics at gmail.com. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe to us on uh, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, apparently, we're on Castbox too. Uh, so that's something new i didn't realize until i was looking at the statistics the other day uh but hey we're on there as well and if you're following us on itunes or i don't know i haven't really experimented with podcasts on spotify a whole lot but uh if you're on itunes you know you can leave us please leave us a rating and a review uh that helps us get out there even more we kind of start showing up uh, quicker in search searches for our work um, I know we got more stuff from David that we're going to cover on in the future, and uh, we'll have a teaser trailer of his to play at some point for his new short. Uh, we're going to be having him on at some point. So, uh, And I think we plan on doing a live stream at some point. We've started looking at some of the... Uh, some of the necessary things that we need to do. And I think we both really want to do that at some point. Uh, I don't know if we would necessarily do it on YouTube, but we do have a way through Podbean to do a live show. I don't know how that would work with iTunes or Spotify. Might have to be a show that goes up later, or we might make it a Patreon thing. Uh, we do plan on setting up a Patreon. I think, um, when we do the most that we're going to kind of start up is, a uh, tip jar for like a one dollar a month and a five dollar a month tip jar just if you guys want to you know contribute some to the podcast uh and then maybe at a higher tier start doing the commentary stuff but we want to do the commentary stuff once we have better equipment more you know real mics per se and stuff like that and have a better understanding of what we're doing but we appreciate every single one of you we hope you all had a great new year's and uh, I think 2020 is going to be a big year for us. So we'll see you guys next time.